From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. This week, our panel discussion features members of the Elevation Project of Philadelphia. The Elevation Project offers supportive space for the formerly incarcerated and those at risk of incarceration. I was in prison for 26 years. I've been home for eight months. And I didn't, all the doors that I tried to enter were being closed. Jared A. Howard's newsmaker has been named one of Philadelphia's cultural treasures by the Ford Foundation. So it's no fun to get free without freeing all your people. Antoinette Lee's Philly Rising Changemaker heads up a local nonprofit dedicated to gun violence prevention. We are providing services in a, a safe place where these kids could come and, you know, be themselves and, and grow. All that's on the way on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. My guests today are members of the Elevation Project of Philadelphia. The Elevation Project offers a supportive space for the formerly incarcerated and those who are at risk of incarceration. The organization's mission is to meet the needs of both at risk and formerly incarcerated individuals by providing holistic services in a safe and supportive environment. That's in order to empower fresh starts and open new pathways. With me today are Latrista Webb, James Smith, Jasmine Ransom, and Dorman Lisby. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. How are you? So tell us all about how the Elevation Project came about. Sure. So the Elevation Project started in 2015. Um, At the time, I was in undergrad, and I was volunteering at a feeding program in the city of Philadelphia. James was incarcerated along with a family member of mine. And so often people would come in to eat and they were young, they were vibrant, and uh, the social worker part of my brain would just ask them, how'd you get here? What are you doing here? Um, You're young, why are you here for meals? And so from those conversations, I learned that a lot of them had just been released from prison, they had nowhere to go, and so they wound up there for a hot meal. At the time, I did not know that they were being released from county jail, so they were being released from State Road, and when they release you from there, they release you with no plan. And so those people had to come and eat. And so James was there, my cousin was there, and I wondered, would they be coming to eat? Even though I knew they had my support, I still, you know, that's Mm -hmm. where my brain went. And so I started to study the prison system. So from that point forward, every paper I wrote, everything I did in undergrad and grad school was on prisons, reentry, mass incarceration, and uh, reducing recidivism. And so I studied that. I graduated. I was in New Orleans at the time. I came back to this area. And so I wanted to do something. And so I hosted a conference that was for formerly incarcerated people to come out and learn about getting a job, uh, maintaining that job. And we had some employers there to offer them offer them jobs. And so after that, um, I had a conversation with James and I said, I want to do more. He's still incarcerated at this time. And so I said, I want to start a program. Let's start a program. And he's like, us? And I'm like, yeah, you run it from in there. I'll run it from out here. What was it like running that from the inside? 
Uh, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. I guess that hard because, like, basically the information that she needed, we was there. We was living it. So we already knew what to tell her. We already knew what we was going to need coming home from being in prison. So it wasn't nothing, you know, to give her that information, you know, and help her. I guess, like, the same criteria that, excuse me, the same criteria they be using for, like, the programs there, we just basically used some of that and just gave it to her. Mm-hmm. Let it go from there, and she put her own spin to it. What are some of the challenges, I guess, and difficulties um, uh, the formerly incarcerated face when it comes to reintegrating into society? Perhaps you can tell me a little bit about that, Jasmine. What are some of the challenges that people face? Employment, housing. I, I feel like it's a stigma. Like, once you have a background, um, just trying to get overall back reacclimated to normal life or some type of norm, normalcy, is that much more challenging? So, so tell me about some of the programs because I see that uh, Dorman brought some art with him, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, you've got props. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he's got some art. So, tell me about some of the programs, uh, some of the employment programs sure. that you have. So, what happened was during James James's reentry, I think I I felt it more than he would say it to me. What I had been doing from 2000. 15 till 2017 when he came was not what people needed. So it was this thing where you think, oh, people need you to teach them how to be calm and how to talk. But these are all adults. They Mm -hmm. don't need that. They sat there because I brought food or because I was a woman or because I had a lot of energy. Whatever their reason was, they sat there. But they didn't need what I was giving them. And no one told me that. People just sat there. But until I had to live reentry, then I realized that that wasn't what people needed. So when Jasmine talks about jobs, James had tried and done like all of the jobs, but that still wasn't what he needed. What we learned together that he needed was to start his own business. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he did. Um, he started HLS Moving Company, um, which is named after his mother, who uh, passed at, during the end of his incarceration. It is a company that runs in her honor. It gave him a sense of pride from where I was sitting, right? It gave him a sense of pride, the ability to hire his family members, the ability to hire his friends who came home, and the ability to run something that was his own probably would have stayed home anyway, right? But I think it increased his chances out here. Mm -hmm. And so from him, I learned that that was what we were supposed to be doing. And so the Transformative Business Center model was created. Um, I'm a researcher, so I studied. There was none anywhere in the country. I stand by that. There are programs for formerly incarcerated people that teach them how to run a business, but there's nowhere that gives them the space to do it. Mm. So our office is their office. Um, It's their space. We don't have individual offices. Uh, It's just open space where anybody can come and run their business. And so you do an eight-week course. At the end of the eight weeks, you have a product that you've designed. Uh, You have all your marketing materials, everything. Um, And so that is the main project that we run. And then we offer just regular reentry service because what people miss is um, Dorman might have come home and not known how to 
email his resume. Okay. But Dorman also came home, and Dorman, I'm a guess that Dorman probably didn't know how to order from Wawa. Because Wawa has now has this kiosk that you have to stand at right, right. and buttons you have to right. press. And I can't just say, yo, give me a sandwich. Right, right. I've got to press all the buttons. And those are the things that people take for granted. Yes. But James and I have lived this. Tell me about your painting business, if you could, Dorman. Well, my painting business started uh, naturally, if you will. The creator gave me the ability to paint and draw. And why not do something that I also enjoy that also gives people smiles on their faces. And I practiced my craft in prison. I was in prison for 26 years. I'm a recent reentrant, and okay. that I've been home for eight months. All the doors that I tried to enter were being closed. Mm. And a gentleman gave me Ms. Latrice's information, and I called her. And she said, come on down. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put you in the front because you've been down that long. You need assistance more than probably anyone. Right. Me and technology, we don't get along, but I love it. <laughs> we have a love-hate relationship, but without right. it, you know, you can't function out here in society because everything's done via your phone, via internet, yeah. via your laptop, whatever device you have. Mm -hmm. But as far as my painting, that's my love. That's my craft. It's a stream of cash right now, praise right. God. Yeah. But I also have like five other jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you need multiple streams of rem yes, revenue. I understand yes. that. Absolutely. But That's it great. It allows me the autonomy to be um, who I want to be and hire yeah. who I want to be and work how I want to be. Yeah, love that. Jasmine, tell me about your natural hair care business. Um, I gear my business toward people with natural hair. So that's locks, braids. Any natural style, mm -hmm. um, I offer services, which is retwist, wash, coloring. I can also provide products. So I have my own growth oil. Um, I just curated my own lock butter. Oh, um, okay. It doubles as like an edge control for women as well. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lock, a beard balm for guys, and then I also have a hair mist. So these are all natural products, no chemicals. I make them myself. Okay. I bottle them myself. I package them myself. I label them. Do you have any with you today? Yes, I do. Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my friend brought, is me. <laughs> yes, I brought some actually. Okay, well, we'll definitely check those out because those so, are those are things yeah. that um, I would definitely utilize. So that's awesome. So the fact that you're able to, you, you, she's able to working out of this space in West Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Having your own business, you didn't have to go to another salon and get rent a chair or so to speak. How does that make you feel that you're you're out, you're doing your own thing, you're generating your own revenue, you're building your business? It definitely um, gives me like a, a feeling of like self-determination because I feel like I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't have the steps. And it's like, OK, I know I need to work. I need money. Um, but. With my background, I can't get the top dollars that I need. Like, I'm not getting what I feel like I deserve. So going into the program, it was just consistency, number one. Like, I'm coming here twice a week for an hour, like, really focusing in on my business. And then once I was done and really seeing that I was capable of doing that and really stuck with it, it was just that much more of a determination to myself to just keep going. I'm, I'm I'm still going with it, like still continue to make my products, still trying to figure out, OK, what's the next step with my business? You know, who can I align myself with networking? 
She's being modest today. So Jasmine came in. I don't know. And this is not her norm. But Jasmine came in with the idea that she wanted to do hair. Part of the class is that you have to leave with a, par- a product to sell. Okay. So we have to be able to replace whatever you were doing before you came to get money with your product. Got it. And so Jasmine just had this service. And it was like, no, you have to leave with a product. This oil was not created before she started. Oh. In eight weeks, she created the, the oil. She created the label. She designed the logo. And she marketed her product. I reminded them to bring their products today, but Jasmine would not have forgotten hers. Yes, I um, we <laughs> Every event that we have, she makes sure that it gets in the hand of the most prominent person in the room. Also, I think Dorman's being a little modest, too. So Dorman also paints murals. He's able to, um, he does sneakers if you wanted to paint a jean jacket. So it's just not like a picture you have to get. It's anything where you want artwork on it, he's able to do it. Um, And then at the end, they get the decision of how they want to register their business with the state. And then their LLC is paid for by the organization. this is this is great. These are three success stories. Yeah. And you've got more than this, I'm yeah. sure. And this is just awesome. And and I, I learned about you through the expungement clinic that mm-hmm. you were running. What are some of the other, um, if you want to just go through it, some of the other before we leave um, resources? We do a third Saturday feeding where, so our office, sorry, I guess I should say that our office is at 63rd and Haverford. Um, so we want to take care of our community as well. So we do a third Saturday feeding that happens every third Saturday. We have the Transformative Business Center. We start a new class every 12 weeks. So our next class will be starting in January. It is an eight-week class. At the end, they do a pitch day where they're able to pitch their uh, business to community members just to get practice at selling their business. Uh, We do that. We do the expungement clinics. And then once you become a part of the Elevation Project, you you become a member of our family. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we often just randomly, someone in the office will think of an event, and then we all come together to just do those things. I want to make sure that everybody gets their business websites or whatever your um, social media out there so people can check you guys out. Uh, James, tell me, uh, give me information about the trucking business. Oh, HLS Moving and Hauling. HLSmovingCompany.com and the phone number is 215-821-7118. All right. And uh, Jasmine? Um, I have an Instagram, so it's LockLoadedOfficial on Instagram. And then if you go to the bio in there, it goes, it's a link that goes right to my style seat where you can book um, for services. You can buy my oil on there as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. And the artwork, where can we find your art? My artwork can be found on artby.dorm245 on Instagram. And, of course, Latrista, how can we find out more yeah. information about the Elevation Project? Sure. So the Elevation Project you can find at www.weelevate215.org. Got it. All right. Latrista Webb, James Smith, Jasmine Ransom, and Dorman Lisby, thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly and continued success. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. The founder of the Colored Girls Museum has recently been named one of Philadelphia's cultural treasures by the Ford Foundation. 
Charity Howard talks with Vashti Dubois, our newsmaker of the week. The Philadelphia's Cultural Treasures Fellowship, created by the Ford Foundation, is really considered a benchmark for local artists who make community work their business. This week, our newsmaker is Vashti Dubois, founder and curator of the Colored Girls Museum, who's recently been recognized as one of Philadelphia's BIPOC artists and cultural workers, named as one of Philadelphia's cultural treasures, and awarded more than $1 million in fellowships in recognition of their remarkable talent and impact on their communities. So I sat down with Vashti to get her point of view on how these awards impact both her, the arts, and the Philadelphia community. Vashti, welcome to Bridging Philly. Oh, Sharadi, it's so wonderful to be with you again here today. Of course, we've had you on before talking about the Color Girls Museum, your baby, and you've always got something popping. But today we're here because you were just recognized as one of 12 Philadelphians now considered Philadelphia's cultural treasures. That is still sinking in. A treasure. So what does that mean to you? So this is a real recognition with real dollars and cents attached to it. For me, being acknowledged as a Philadelphia cultural treasure means one thing and one thing only. That Philadelphia actually said that colored girls are a cultural treasure. Now, I already knew that. Obviously, I knew that because here's her monument, the Colored Girls Museum. But you know, sometimes you need the other people to say it so everybody hears it. So I accept this acknowledgement on behalf of all of the colored girls who have always been treasures, always, but what it means for our city. And I hope we're sending a loud example to the world. And if collectively we're not, I certainly intend to use the opportunity to talk about what this means. It's not about me. It's not even specifically about the Colored Girls Museum. It's about the treasure that we are and always have been to this city, but to the world. Colored Girls are a cultural treasure, y'all. And in addition to that, I feel like on every continent, they've recognized at some point that you put the money in the hand of the mother and the family and the community will get fed. We know that the women are going to take care of the community. I truly believe that the Colored Girls Museum has this recognition because we are an example of what what that really, really does look like in a place like America, in a place like Philadelphia, where whatever we get, we're going to make sure that the community gets fed because we realize that when the community gets fed, we all get fed. Everybody gets fed. And the coolest thing about Philly, I think, is that we set trends. We're a trendsetter. So when someone says something in Philly, it echoes. And maybe this is the echo. What's the echo here? I know, I know, I know. Sometimes there are people in your life and you know that they love you, but they withhold that from you For for whatever reasons. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, there were parts of the way that I was raised where I really do believe that whether it was my mother or a teacher or a professor, they wouldn't give you all your stuff because they just felt like, well, then you got to stop working. So just withholding this thing from you that you already are, that you already have, that you've already done. And this echo is hundreds of years late, but it's here. And like I said, obviously we know that the colored girl is a cultural treasure. Obviously, we do know this. 
But the city of Philadelphia has said with a lot of weight behind it, oh yeah, I think y'all are cultural treasure. (laughs) And in so doing, it is landing certainly in our country in a really powerful way. And I am going to do everything that I can to make sure that that just gets multiplied, that there's like a ripple effect here. So good for you, Philadelphia. Congratulations for being the first ones out the gate to just say it and to put a little weight behind it. And that weight behind it goes a long way because you've been doing a lot of this out of your pocket, out of the goodness of your heart and brilliance of your mind. But now you got a little help. Okay, what's next? So for me, what's next, you know, so it's no fun to get free without freeing all your people. And so what this opportunity provides for us as the Colored Girls Museum is an opportunity to support the work of some of those sisters so that we can really have the experience of multiplying this treasure, this this gift. So each one reach one, that's what I'm really, 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 really excited about. I mean, what keeps me up at night is knowing that when you're able to really support the community that does so much for so many, that community has an opportunity to thrive. And when the entire community is thriving, we all win. I want us all to win. It's, it's a gift to, to us. It's a gift to this city. And I am really, really um, excited for the next cohort that comes down because I'm really, really hoping that some of the folks who who never get who never get shy get this kind of support. It's also important to say here that for many people, they think that my work as an artist, uh, as an advocate began with the Colored Girls Museum, but I have been working, doing this work for over 30 years. And though I left Philadelphia and came back, Certainly in the 21 years I was here and in the five years I was here before that, everything that I have done has led up to this moment. So I didn't just wake up one morning and it was the Colored Girls Museum, like everything, you know, every executive directorship, every development job, every program development job, every volunteer opportunity, everything, 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 working for the city of Philadelphia for after-school programs, executive director of Treehouse Books, Mm -hmm. executive director for the arts program at, um, at, at, at Sanctuary, at the Church of the Advocate. All of these things have created the possibility of this. And, you know, if we are blessed to do so, this will just be the tip of the iceberg because... We're going to invest heavily in the folks who are out here doing the work. And, and we, we know, I know what it's like to just get that little push when you need it. And I, I just want to be the person who's able to continue to do that for other folk. And that's sometimes all you need is somebody to look at you and say you're worth the investment. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And the thing is, you know that you're worth the investment, but there's a song by the Clark sisters, Am I Living in Vain? (laughs) Where you just, sometimes you feel like a fool. You really feel like a fool because... Is it not for nothing? Is it not for nothing? You know, you're pouring in and you're pouring in and you're pouring in. And in this case, like I said, for me, you know, I get to do what I love. So when you carry on an actual gift, it doesn't just 
speak to you, it speaks to generations. And that's what you've always done. You found a way to not just reach back, but to lift up. I come from a long line of folk who traveled this timeline. They reached back and they moved forward usually at the same time. And I am a beneficiary of that movement, of that knowledge, which is now my responsibility. My work, our work as the Colored Girls Museum is to continue that really powerful, powerful investment. I receive this on the behalf of our city as an investment that's due us because we've already done the work. Like, we've already done the work. It's so important for ordinary colored girls to get the message. So I just really hope we get the message. They didn't say Vashti Dubois was a cultural treasure. They said colored girls are a cultural treasure because that's what Vashti is representing in this moment. Colored girls. Thank you so much for being here, Vashti. Oh, it is always my pleasure. The Philly Rising Changemaker is sponsored by Penn Medicine Heart and Vascular Center, performing the most advanced heart procedures in the region. Hey, what up? It's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. Ryan Harris is the founder of As I Plant This Seed. It's a local nonprofit that's dedicated to gun violence prevention through youth development programs. Harris is a Philly Rising veteran, but he's been up to some pretty exciting things lately. Here's more. It's been a big year for community leader Ryan Harris. Founder of the nonprofit As I Plant This Seed recently welcomed a baby girl into the world. The game changer has also helped put Philly on the map through his gun violence prevention efforts. I do have to give a kudos to the White House for being able to, you know, do that due diligence to find the people on the ground doing the grassroots work because it's not easy. We are not visible as much as, you know, the bigger corporations or organizations. This month, Harris was invited to the White House where he was honored alongside other anti-violence advocates and organizers from across the country. That experience was amazing. We was able to sit down with some of the top leaders that are doing some of the similar work that we're doing. It was refreshing, actually, to see people that are on the front lines, grassroots organizations, starting from literally nothing, and, you know, sustaining through all adversity, pandemic, all of these things, and then being recognized by the White House and putting us all together for us to connect and continue to share information, to be a light to each other, to be a resource to each other. And we met so many people from Memphis, from Chicago, Texas, Baltimore, Detroit. Uh, we have so many connections and it just built a, a, a bridge and information to be able to share some things that's working in the community. Harris says while it's great to be acknowledged on a national level, back home in Hunting Park, the work continues. We are actually doing the work at the Treehouse. We provide 10 free programs right now for the youth. We are uh, extending these programs throughout the year to make sure that these kids are staying off the street and not only staying off the street, having a safe place to come, be themselves, pick up a skill, and then also be able to change our life and the trajectory of where they're going. If you understand the gun violence in Philadelphia right now, then you can see a pattern of the youth getting younger and younger, getting involved with this nonsense. And a lot of it is because of incarcerated fathers, single home parents. Um, a lot of it is uh, some of the influences that these kids are watching. And the way we combat that is to be able to provide that crucial time out of school programming with some alternatives and some resources that, you know, can help really help these kids propel to new heights and, you know, help them 
we say for potential. As I plant this seed is gearing up for their 11th annual holiday giveaway. Last year, they sponsored 60 families. This year, they're doubling the impact. So we are serving 120 families this year, but we looking to, you know, help these parents out with getting these gifts for the kids that will, you know, help them free up some money and maybe to catch up with some bills around the holidays so they won't have to worry about some of these big items that the kids want on there for Christmas. And while the holiday season is the time for giving, it's also when they make their annual push to support programming throughout the year. Through a partnership with James Helm of Top Dog Law, Harris says they've already raised $70,000 with a goal of hundred I mean, when you think about who's doing the grassroots proactive gun violence prevention in Philadelphia, Ryan's the first guy that comes to mind. We do raise the money around Christmas time to provide help for, you know, the parents and relief for them, almost like a stimulus package. So, you know, the kids can get what they need. They can be happy, have a, a good experience on a holiday. And uh, we want to definitely help with that. But to even go further, you know, we are providing services in a, a safe place where these kids could come and, you know, be themselves and, and grow in a way where they will be productive citizens. So this is the, the work right here. Harris says the organization is still looking for families to sponsor and donations are always welcome. More information is available on the As I Plant This Seed website and Instagram. That's it for the Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. If you're interested in learning more about As I Plant This Seed, you can find the organization online at asiplantthisseed.org. Ryan Harris is also very active on Instagram, so you can follow his journey there. That's it for this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. If you know a changemaker we should highlight next, please let me know. There are several ways to find me. You can call the station or submit an idea on our website. We'll be back next week. I'm Antoinette Lee. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel on Air. And of course, subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Shower Day Howard, and our podcast producer, Tom Rickard, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs>